Good morning and welcome Calvary Quakertown. It's great to have you join us this morning. It was good being with you last week and now I'm with you, but I'm on the screen. I'm not there in person. I do have to tell you all, uh, after the first service in Quakertown last week, someone came up to me and said, Charles, it took me 15 minutes to realize you were really here. You weren't on the screen. I mean, the screen really works. That got me thinking. I could be on the screen here and there, and I could be somewhere else. Uh, well, anyway, we'll, we'll figure that out eventually. We are in a series called Ready, Set, and I am a little disappointed that we haven't changed that video at the beginning from that snow scene yet. I'm waiting for the lying on the beach scene in the hot sun, uh, but we get the ski scene. We don't need the skiing scenes anymore, uh, but the temperatures yesterday and today certainly lend themselves to skiing, not to lying on the beach. But I got an email this morning saying 99 days to Ocean City. So that's probably good news for me. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> You'll clap for that. Good. Well, we're in a series that we're calling Ready, Set, because preparation precedes execution. Planning has to come before doing, or your doing may just be an exercise in continuing lots of motion, but not accomplishing much. Now, we, we started this series uh, a number of weeks ago, and we started almost with like a, a little bit of a, an, an acronym duel. Remember that kind of back and forth? So let's do a little bit of review, a little remembering and review. I know that all of you are intimately acquainted with all the details of every message in this series, and you could just spit them out to me. But for those of you that haven't, let me remind you. We started this series with the word soap, because some of you need to clean up. Well, that was, let God start the conversation, at least occasionally. Rather than having prayer just be our laundry list of things we want God to do, let God occasionally start the conversation, come to the scripture, observe what's there, apply what's there, and prayer follows in that frame as to letting God start the conversation. Our response to that comes in prayer. Carlos followed that up with the word start, and you notice his then acronym isn't nearly as good as mine, but there it is. Say you're sorry, thank him, ask for something, rave about him and talk to him. Again, we have to start. And that's a good thing to keep in mind. If you haven't jotted down those things, you can do that. Um, I followed that up with uh, a few acronyms describing Carlos. We won't go into those today. Uh, there were a few of those. But then we did pray. We looked at the uh, Sermon on the Mount and we looked at Jesus' prayer, often called the Lord's Prayer. We have to change our perspective making sure we're uh, remembering that we're children of God, not employees. It's a family relationship, not a business relationship. Remember who God is. Accept what he wants best for us rather than getting ticked off if you don't get the things you ask for and yearn for his kingdom and his values to come, his priorities being accomplished, not just ours. All that nonsense with acronyms faded after that. And then we looked at John 17. Uh, some people would call that the real missional prayer where Jesus prays, and in a nutshell, Jesus says, Father, I've accomplished the mission you sent me on, and now I'm praying that all of my followers will continue what I started. If you want to read a prayer all about continue what Jesus started, you read John 17. Jesus prays for himself. He prays for his first followers. He prays for us. And he essentially says, Lord, I'm praying that they will continue what I started. And that'll happen in two ways. The two words that appear there all the time, unity and priority. I want them to be one just as we are one. We're all going to be one together. And priority, they're going to be holy and sanctified, set apart for this task, committed and dedicated. We use the words connect and impact to describe that unity and priority that Jesus prays for in John 17. Well, that really brings us to our topic this morning. So think about it like this. Let God start the conversation. We clean up and organize our thoughts and such, and that soap 
And we need to start by asking for God and getting in step with what he wants. And then we need to pray. We need to make sure we're continuing what Jesus started. And all that needs to work in our lives well. And that really brings us to wavering and waffling. Isn't that right? Because if you're anything like me, I'm hot, then I'm cold. I say yes, then I don't. I try it, then I quit. I commit to this, then I stop. We waffle and waver all of the time. And so if we're going to be honest, we can't just kind of lay out the parameters of what the goals should be or what we should be doing. We need to recognize the reality that we're often going to waver and waffle. When I think about wavering and waffling, beside myself, I think about Jonah in the Bible. If you've never read through Jonah, I encourage you, it's only four short little chapters. So we're going to look at Jonah today, and we're going to look at wavering and waffling. Now, I have to be real careful this morning because Jonah is my grandson's, my oldest grandson's favorite Bible story. So I can't mess this baby up or I'm going to be in big trouble. Here's what we're going to do. Just two things. I'm going to kind of walk you through Jonah's journey and hopefully you'll see the wavering and waffling. And then we're going to spin out a few lessons at the end and then we'll be done. Jonah's journey of wavering and waffling, lessons we can learn and apply, and then we're ready to go. As we get started, Jonah is a prophet. We know that because Jonah is actually mentioned in 2 Kings. So he was a prophet. And Jonah had pretty high esteem in the minds of the people because he was not just foretelling what God wants. Prophets give God's perspective on things. He wasn't just doing that. He was telling the people what was going to happen. Prophets usually foretell, tell what God's perspective is, and sometimes foretell, that's the future thing, they foretell a whole lot more than foretell, even though we often think of prophets more foretelling than foretelling. Jonah was good at both. And we know from 2 Kings that he must have done a really good job because he kept rising in the estimation of the people. Jonah's reputation was through the roof. And so we read at the beginning of Jonah's book that God calls Jonah. That makes perfect sense, right? Jonah's a prophet, hearing from God, sharing his perspective. He's foretelling and foretelling and God calls Jonah. Here's how that goes. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. That's what prophets do. They hear from God and obviously they do what God says. Jonah hears from God. He has a pretty good reputation of doing what God said, saying what God wants. And so God says, hey, Jonah, got a mission for you. Here are your orders, right? Let God start the conversation. God starts the conversation in Jonah. Jonah gets the orders, opens them up. Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh, which just happens to be the capital of Assyria. Now, that may not be a big deal. That was a big deal to Jonah. The Assyrians were the rising world power. They were barbaric brutal and Jew-hating. They were gobbling up not just the other countries around them, they were making their move toward Israel. So Jonah's thinking, what? You want me to go to Assyria? You want me to go to Nineveh, the capital of these people, and you want me to tell them that you're going to judge them? Well, that sounds like good news, right? Go tell the Assyrians, go tell the people in Nineveh, They've come to God's attention. Their wickedness has come to him, and he's going to wipe them out. Huh. But Jonah's pretty bright. And here's what he figures. Let me see if I got this right. God sends me my orders. Go to Nineveh, the capital city of Assyria, and tell them their wickedness has come to my attention, and they are under my judgment. 
Huh. If God wants to destroy Nineveh, he doesn't have to send a preacher. He could send like the tanks and airplanes, right? But if God wants to save and rescue Nineveh, then he has to send a preacher. I, Jonas, I just wonder what God wants to do here. I don't want those Assyrians being rescued. So what does Jonah do? He runs from God. He's a prophet. He takes off in the opposite direction. Just to give you a little ge geographical perspective. Nineveh is roughly 500 miles east of Israel. He runs to Tarshish, which is in Spain, all the way across the Mediterranean. In other words, God says, hey, Jonah, I got a job for you. Go to Nineveh, preach the message. Jonah not only says no, he says no with an exclamation point. Instead of going 500 miles east, he sails like 1,000 miles west. That's no with a big exclamation point. I don't know about you, but prophets usually don't, don't act like that, do they? I mean, Jonah's reputation as a prophet sky high. God said, hey, Jonah, got a job for you. Go to Nineveh. He says, no way. He takes off for Tarshish. That's waffling and wavering, isn't it? Now, before you begin to look down your uh, arrogant, snooty little nose at Jonah, let me ask you, do you ever do that? I'd be willing to bet that you know one or two things that God wants you to do. It's not a maybe. It's not a prompting that you think. No, no. Now, my guess is there are a couple of things you know God wants you to do. And what do you do? You say, no, I'm not doing it. I'm in control of my own calendar. I'm in control of my priorities. I mean, you don't tell me. I disagree. I veto your plan. So don't get too upset at Jonah. Yeah, he waffles and wavers. And so do we. He takes off and goes to Tarshish. Just in case you don't know the end, he doesn't make it to Tarshish. God chases Jonah. Don't you hate that? God chases Jonah. Let's uh, read the God chases part. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea. Such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. So God says, Jonah, you may think you're going to Tarshish. You're not. You're going to Nineveh, pal. <laughs> and so God sends a storm, and it is a ferocious storm. In fact, think of it this way. The purpose of the ship sailing to Tarshish was not to help Jonah get away from God. The purpose of the ship sailing to Tarshish was to deliver its cargo. This storm is so bad, the sailors start throwing the cargo overboard because they're afraid they're going to die. The purpose of the voyage is now lost. God says, Jonah... I'm going to chase you down, and I'm not going to let you get to Tarshish. Now, we often think, you know, when I say Jonah, most of you think the big fish, the whale, whatever the thing. And, you know, the whale does appear. A fish appears a couple verses, not only a couple verses in the book. But we often think of, you know, the big fish coming and swallowing Jonah as God's judgment on Jonah. That's not God's judgment on Jonah. That fish is God's grace. If God didn't send a fish, Jonah would have drowned in the Mediterranean. The storm would have continued. The boat would have gone down. Jonah and all the other sailors would have died. God sends the fish on a rescue mission. God sends this little scaly limousine to pick Jonah up. Right? He picks him up, spends a few nights there, you know, make sure Jonah, Jonah's going to come back to his senses here. Jonah's running from God. The fish gets him and delivers him back on shore. But while he's in the fish's gut, 
You know, nothing like gastrointestinal juice and darkness to get you to think through your life clearly, right? Uh, Jonah comes to his senses in the fish's belly. Well, who would have thought? <laughs> All of chapter two is Jonah's prayer. It's a really good prayer. And what Jonah gets it, he's a prophet. Then he doesn't get it, he runs from God. Then he gets it again in the fish's gut. He gets it. I just want to read to you kind of the end of the prayer. The climax of the book shows us Jonah really, he, he's not waffling now. It's crystal clear. Here's what he prays. You think through it, this prayer is right on. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord. He didn't even need a journal. Here's what he wrote. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. Boy, that's right. Notice, Jonah says, those who cling to worthless idols, those who hold on, those who grasp worthless idols, forfeit the grace. They turn from the grace that could be theirs. They're forfeiting. And Jonah puts himself in that category. Jonah isn't just thinking about the Assyrians. He's not thinking about the Ninevites. He knows that he is in that group of people clinging to worthless idols. He's clinging maybe to his own protection. Maybe he thinks the Ninevites would kill him. He's thinking of his God's reputation. He doesn't want these people in Nineveh coming to salvation and being rescued. Whatever, he's clinging to something other than God's plan. He let go of what God wanted. He left go of continuing what Jesus started. He's holding on to something else now. And he says, but if I'm holding on to something else, if I'm clinging to something other than God's plan, I'm forfeiting the grace that could be mine because I have to hold that. He gets it. He puts himself in the category of idolaters. He lets go. He clings to God and says, now I know salvation's from God. That's good. He gets it. Oh, yeah, now last thing, it's the junior high verse of Jonah. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah on the land. He just kind of spilled his cookies right on the beach. And uh, I'm not sure how gross you want to make that, but can you picture Jonah standing there? Shrimp cocktail all over him, right? A little bit of tuna tartare or whatever the fish was eating. Maybe his skin's bleached a little bit. Maybe some hair got singed off. And my guess is he's looking like, you know, one of those beasts that come out of those horror movies, right? He's a mess on the beach. Stinks like heck, right? Stand on the beach. And then what do we get next? Uh, beginning of chapter three, God calls Jonah. Again. Notice, God didn't change his mind. Jonah said, God, I don't like your plan. I'm not going to Nineveh. I'm going to Tarshish. He kind of sends the storm, sends the fish, delivers them back on shore, pukes them back up on the beach. God says, here's what it is. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. God's plan's not changing. Jonah wasted a whole lot of time, probably lost a whole bunch of weight, smells a little bit, had some rough experiences. The cargo of the ship is lost. Sailors were in danger for their lives. That voyage was a waste. All that stuff is happening. God says, Jonah, got a plan. Go to Nineveh. God's not going to change his mind. Well, here's the amazing thing. Jonah shows up in Nineveh. And he proclaims God's message. And miracle of miracles. The people of Nineveh believe Jonah. 
Maybe he looked that gross. We don't, maybe he smelled that bad. If this guy's been through, maybe Jonah told them his story. As, oh, we don't want to mess with a God like this. Whatever the reason, they repent of their sin. They turn from their idols and they turn to the only God that can rescue. And they, just like Jonah prayed in the fish, they let go of their idols and they cling to God and the grace and God brings rescue to the Ninevites. And whenever I read Jonah, I always think, I wish the book would have ended at the end of chapter three. The animals are repenting. The people are repenting. The king's repenting. Everything's right with the world. Jonah's mission accomplished, but that's not where the book ends. It ends with the spotlight shining on Jonah outside the city of Nineveh on a little hill. And in my mind's eye, Jonah's on a little hill overlooking Nineveh. Now, what would Jonah be thinking and waiting for on that hill overlooking Nineveh? Jonah's waiting for the fire and brimstone to come down and destroy that city. That's what he's waiting for. That was what he preached, right? And Jonah's thinking, I don't care if they repented or not. I don't care if they're like, I don't want the Ninevites and the Assyrians rescued. I'm going to wait here till God judges them. And the judgment doesn't. Jonah's got a little calendar there, right? Maybe he had it on his phone. He's counting 40 days. God said, 40 days or God's going to destroy the city. He's up to 38, 39, 40, 41. What the heck? He even says, he prays. And, you know, if, if we were honest, sometimes we would pray like this, but we're not honest enough. Listen to Jonah's prayer in chapter 4. Now, th this is, comes after the repentance, after all the good stuff, right? The, the book didn't end in 3. Here's chapter 4. Jonah is pouting and praying. I don't know about you. I, I wouldn't want to be real close to Jonah as he prays this. This is what he prays. Isn't this what I said when I was still at home? This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you're a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life. It's better for me to die than live. I would rather die than watch those Ninevites rescued. I would rather die than sit here and not see your judgment come on people. I would rather die here than watch these people that are so undeserving receive forgiveness and acceptance. I hate that, and I hate that about you. Wow. God takes Jonah to school in chapter 4. It's kind of a visual, experiential lesson. It's not, it's not a lecture. It's kind of a demonstration. God has a plant. It's kind of hot and sunny in the Middle East out overlooking the city, and God sends a plant. And overnight, this plant grows up, has big leaves and it shades Jonah's bald head from the scorching sun. And Jonah really likes the plant. I mean, Jonah, he's probably saying, thank you, God, for this plant. Now, if I only had a nice glass of iced tea with lemon, that'd be, I mean, this is wonderful, this plant. And Jonah's happy with the plant, right? He's kind of experiencing a little comfort, you know, a little pleasure outside the city. And then God sends a worm the next day. And the worm, just at the right place, chews the stalk of that plant, so the plant grew up in a day, and it dies in a day. And Jonah is ticked off again. In fact, we have more of his prayer in chapter 4. Here's what he says. God says, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? Jonah says, it is. And I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. 
Jonah two times prays that God would take him out. And it's amazing to me. This shows God's grace. God didn't do it either time. I'd have been tempted when it was half, it was half out of his mouth the first time. There'd be a little, you know, a little funeral up there on the hill outside Nineveh. Uh, but God doesn't do it here either. Jonah pouts and Jonah prays. He's wrestling with God. He's waffling and wavering, right? It starts out, he's a prophet. He's a, his re- reputation is through the roof. God gives him orders to go to Nineveh. He waffles and wavers and sails to Tarshish. God sends the storm. God sends the fish in a belly of fish. Oh yeah, I got it. I'm going to Nineveh now. He goes to Nineveh and the people repent of their sin. And when God doesn't bring judgment, he's pouting and praying and telling God he wishes he were dead. That's not only Jonah's story, that's my story. Isn't that your story? You're amazed by God's love and amazed by God's grace. And you commit yourself to being wholly committed to him and doing what he wants and living out his mission and continuing what Jesus started, whatever words you use to describe that. And before you know it, a little plant comes along that gives you a lot of pleasure and comfort. And before you know it, you're living more for the comfort of the plant than you are the mission of God. And you get really ticked off if God messes with the things that are giving you pleasure and comfort more than you are about being part of God's mission. I mean, Jonah's story is my story. It's your story too. That's why I knew we couldn't finish ready, set, without talking about waffling and wavering. Because when we talk about plan and what's going to happen, at the beginning of things, if you're like me, we're excited, we're going to do it. We're going to continue what Jesus did. We're going to do these things. Yeah, but then time will come and comfort will be squeezed and pleasure will increase. And before you know it, you'll be sidetracked to doing something else. And our story will just be like Jonah's, waffling and wavering. God said, and let's kind of avoid the storms and the fish, huh? God's, a, God's purposes will be accomplished. The only question is, are you and I going to be part of it or not? Oh, but that's getting into the lessons. Here we go, a few lessons and then we're done. Lesson number one. God never calls people to something easy. Here's a challenge for you. You read through the Bible, or just off the top of your head, you think of your favorite biblical character. Noah, Abraham, Moses, Jonah, David, Paul, Peter, Jesus. You think of your favorite biblical character. Uh, answer this question. Did God really call them something to really e- to be, that, that's really easy? Heck no. God called Noah without even Home Depots being around. And he says, I want you to build a big boat because I'm going to send a flood and everything in the boat will survive. Everything outside the boat is going to drown. And so you need to build a boat big enough. And I want you to take all the animals on the boat with you and to make matters worse, even take cats onto the ark and save them. (laughs) That's a tough job, right? Building a boat. God calls Abraham. Is that an easy job? Abraham, here's my mission for you. Leave your hometown, your job, your culture, where everything's familiar, and go to a strange land. Where's that God? I don't, I'll show you while you go. That, that's not easy. He says to Moses, Moses, leave the palace and all of the pleasures and trappings of being a prince in Egypt, and you wander out in the desert for 40 years, then come back and say to the existing Pharaoh, I want to take your entire free slave force away from you. That sounds like an easy job, right? How about Esther? 
risk your life. David, face Goliath. Daniel, go into the lion's den. Jesus, go to the cross. Don't expect God to call you to something easy. God always calls us to something hard. He gives us the strength and the willpower and all that to do it. But be sure of one thing, it's not going to be easy. Here's a little test. If it's really, really easy, it's probably not God giving the orders. That's probably you giving the orders. Second lesson. Waffling and wavering have huge consequences. Just think of Jonah's running for the first time, right? The, the reason for the, for the cruise, the reason for that trip was never accomplished. The fare that Jonah paid to get on the ship at Joppa, he lost that money. God didn't give it back to him. His physical condition, a whole lot worse when he got puked on the beach than when he left to go to Joppa or when he went down to Joppa. He wasted time, he wasted energy, he wasted resources. And where did that leave him? The beginning of Jonah 3. Jonah, got a plan for you. Go to Nineveh. Yeah, wavering and waffling have huge consequences. In fact... Sometimes the consequences are so huge that people just step out of continuing what Jesus started forever and wind up doing something else rather than what God wants. There are eternal consequences with that one. How about Jonah pouting on the, on the hill overlooking the city? Huge consequences. Jonah is out of step with God's desires. Here are a couple of little hints for it. Symptom number one that you're waffling away. Here's one, symptom number one. God's passions are different than your passions. How are they lining up? Are you doing all right? What God desires is not real high on your desire list. Waffling and wavering when we readjust the priorities, consequences can be huge. Third lesson. God is sovereign and runs the show. It's kind, of, it's kind of interesting when you read through Jonah. Um, we don't have time to do this, but I, if you got some time to save time, I encourage you. To, it's a great study. Every turn of event, God orchestrates in Jonah. So it kind of goes like this. God calls Jonah. God sends the storm. God sends the fish. God calls Jonah. God opens the eyes of the Ninevites. God relents from what he's going to do. God causes the plant to grow. God sends the worm. God says to Jonah and God debates you. God controls all of the activity. Which is another way of saying all of God's purposes, desires, and intentions, every one of them, will be completed and fulfilled. Absolutely. We say it this way when we talk about the story. God's original intentions will all be part of the ultimate consummation. His original intentions will be the ultimate destination. The only question mark is what role you and I will play in the accomplishing of them. That's the only question. They all will be complete. What's your role going to be? That reminds me, when I was growing up, uh, my father's best friend was a, was a guy named Harry, Harry Hoppy. Harry was uh, by far the best checker player I ever met. I'm not a great checker, but Harry was like a champion. 
That journey actually got started in a terrible situation. Harry was actually wounded pretty severely in the European theater of World War II. And he got sent home and he spent, you know, months and months in a hospital on a ship coming home. And all he did day, day after day after day recovery was play checkers. Um, I used to play checkers with my daughters when they were young. And let me tell you, I'm not one of those mamby-pamby parents that let their kids win to increase their self-esteem. I wanted my kids to grow up knowing life is hard. And people are out there to get you. So I would beat them whenever I could. They didn't beat me on purpose. They, I would beat them. Of the hundreds, this is absolutely true. Of the hundreds of games of checkers that I played with Harry Hoppy, I never, ever won a game. Ever. He didn't let me win, and I never won. The games all started the same. Charles, you go first, okay? Three or four moves, I'd have most of my pieces. And then the demolition would begin. <laughs> I wouldn't even have any kings and the game would be over. He hasn't lost like a checker or two. Don't play checkers with Harry Hoppy. Don't run from God. He has all the kings. And if for no other reason, this is an IQ test. If God really is, like Jonah says, the God of the land and the sea, the most important, wisest thing we can do is to get in step with what he wants to accomplish and will accomplish. And the amazing thing, he wants us to be part of it, and he rescues us to be part of it. That's amazing. The consequences are great. Get in step with what God wants to do. And our last lesson. Jonah really does. Point us to the gospel. I'm going to show you points us to the gospel in two ways. Jonah reminds us that we need to first see the depth of our sin before we will ever see the height of God's love and grace. If you don't see the depth of your sin, you read Jonah chapter 2. If you don't realize what a desperate your situation you're in, God's grace isn't going to be too amazing to you. But if you understand the depth of your sin, you understand the height of God's love and grace, and that will cause you to be amazed. And you'll be amazed that God wants you to be part of the plan. So the first thing is recognize the depth of your sin and the height of God's love and grace. But here's another way Jonah points to the gospel. In Jonah chapter 1, Jonah goes down into the storm of God's wrath and all of the sailors, those Gentiles on the ship are rescued because he goes down. Does that story sound familiar? Jesus sinks in the ultimate storm of God's wrath so that Gentiles and Jews alike can be rescued and spared forever. I want to end by looking at the last couple of verses of Jonah because Jonah ends differently than every other book of the Bible. Jonah's radically, it's already weird, right? But it ends really, really stranger. Here's what it says. I want to read the last couple of verses and then I'm going to leave you with the question. This is how God ends the book. The Lord said, You've been concerned about this plant. Can I give you a little assignment? Take the word plant out, draw a line, 
and you put on that line whatever tends to rival God's priority in your life. Reputation, power, car, money, whatever it is, right? You, you put, so here's what he says. You've been concerned about this plant. What are, what, what are the rivals to God in your life? Put it on that line. Take out plant, you draw a line. And isn't the rest of it still true? You've been concerned about this plant or whatever else. So you didn't tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. But Jonah, should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals. My daughter loved that, and many animals. God's concern, yeah. Is the mission of God and people your top two priorities? There is no other book in the Bible that ends with a question. This is it. You're concerned about a plant or about your possessions or your reputation or your power or your family. You're concerned about all these other things. I'm concerned about people and rescuing them with the gospel. What should your concerns actually be? What you're concerned with or what God's concerned with? If I were a good preacher, I'd answer that question for you. I'm going to ask you to stand. We're going to pray. You answer it yourself. Your answer will be lived out these next few months. Let's pray. Father, thanks for this really strange book that gives us a glimpse of our own hearts. We're wafflers and waverers. And the amazing thing is you keep chasing us. And when we turn, you're there with open arms to welcome us back, not just with acceptance, but with a commission to continue the mission. Lord, as we looked at the business meeting, thanks for all of the things that Calvary Church participates in and initiates to continue what Jesus started. Lord, as we move into the rest of 2020, help each one of us to answer the Jonah question. What are our concerns? What are God's concerns? Are any changes needed? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.